Welcome to Talking in Stations, a podcast about EVE Online. I am Matterall. Today is January 31st. We are finishing the first month in 2021. And uh, we have a bunch of news for you about EVE Online coming up next. We're going to talk about uh, the stuff going on in the war from the breakout to the Bazgarin, sorry, the Keepstar that went down in one TAC S. Uh, the M2 uh, breakout, of course. Uh, we'll go up north, talk about fraternity, and then back into high sec, or actually the middle of uh, Saint Blazon, talk about Bazgarin and what happened there. To do all that, we have uh, great advanced players from all over EVE Online. And let's get them introduced, including Arcia. Hey, how you doing? Really good. So Arcia handles a lot of, um, well, uh, fleet commanding in uh, faction warfare, role playing, and of course, Edencom, and uh, all kinds of stuff in that middle section of the map. With us, we have Elise Randolph. Hello, everyone. At least, uh, sorry, I just, uh, these people need no explanation or introductions, but I got to give them anyway. At least has uh, a lot of NullSec history, a lot of um, configurations of uh, how to put ships together and what works and what doesn't. But uh, A to Z, uh, at least Randolph in NullSec and more. Uh, we also have Suetonia. How's it going, Suetonia? Doing pretty well. Hello, everyone. Tony does also uh, fleet commanding and soloing, and you'll know him from his streams. He's also a CCP partner, as is Arcia. Uh, so you can, uh, and also a CSM member, a former CSM member, knows a lot about how to put things together and what doctrines work. And of course, he is a database mind of uh, the statistics in the game. Uh, we also have Kuda with us today. You might remember him from Cap Stable. How you doing, Kuda? Oh no, we lost your mic. How do we lose your mic? All right, he's an IT guy. He'll get this. There he is. Try again. Can you hear me now? Yeah. How you doing, Kuda? Tell you're from uh, Cap Stable. Long time ago. Great show. Very polished. And uh, you were the industry guy that was in Brave, right? So you were kind of newish to the game at the time. And somewhat newish. I've been uh, I'd been playing for a few years at that point. We were new to null for sure. Um, I'd been no, doing a lot of high sec mining. That's kind of where I started. Um, but yeah, I'm flying with uh, Blades of Grass these days and uh, Cap Stable. Yeah, still a uh, pod faded, a mothballed project, but a lot of good memories and a good group of guys. So yeah, great content too. And uh, I see a picture of a blue Jesus behind you and a fish tank. Is that right or? Uh, that is Tupac and a fish tank. Yes. Okay. Well, I was close. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's good to see you. Good to see you back. Glad you're around. Uh, there it is. That makes sense. All right. Let's get started. Well, that was um, just about as uh, comical as uh, welcoming uh, Daddy Deep yesterday or last week. Uh, he was the Keepstar Gunner from uh sixth empire and of course he would have a name like daddy deep if you know anything about sixth empire it makes total sense apparently you stop saying it over and over again <laughs> yes. i'm doing it for you Saturday. i've never seen you laugh so hard but he used a, a, a porn generator a porn name generator to get all his names so that's where that comes from so mystery solved yeah and then all you right. asked him how good how good how good does it feel to be inside a keep star <laughs> yeah. It was, it was getting pretty bad. <laughs> it was getting really bad. 
So we will, let's, let's turn this car around, shall we? Um, let's talk about EVE Online. <laughs> All right. What, do you, what, what happened in EVE Online? Uh, let's, I guess the biggest story of the week was really that breakout, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, NM2, uh, Pappy, they kind of got their groove back in a way in this whole in this whole war. Uh, they managed to form pretty big. Uh, they got their titans that were trapped below the Keepstar and MTAC2 that is currently being held camped by the Imperium. Uh, they managed to rescue them. Uh, they took out six Imperium titans while losing six of their own. So it was pretty much about as even a trade as you can get. Um, the cost of all this um, was... I think 414 dreads died from the Pappy side. Um, a massive death toll. Uh, the dreads did actually start shooting their own wrecks as they were going down. Um, oh, so wow. not, I'd say probably the Imperium looted a good a hundred or so of those wrecks. Um, but 300 or so were, were probably killed. So <laughs> Imperium got a nice payday from it. Everyone left M2 feeling really good about it. Um, Pappy, is is completely back to form. They they did lose, I'd say, a month of progress in their war after MTAC two, but it looks like they've more or less completely rebounded. Um, we saw them uh, just yesterday attack the MTAC two I hub to try and reconquer that. We saw a few other moves around Delve. Um, they've been consistently winning timers in Delve. Crucially, they are losing timers in uh, Catch and I think Esoteria as well. So the Imperium has changed their their tactic in the month of January, and they've spread around the forces a bit much. But the the Imperium also view that whole breakout attempt as a win, right? They killed four hundred and twenty dreads almost, which would have been great. Um, their morale is is more or less at an all time high. They're they're putting more bodies in fleet than they were this time a a month ago. Uh, so like before M two. So both sides are, are somehow coming out of this with a positive. Uh, again, just completely baffling that in a war that's been going on for almost seven months, both sides are completely adamant that they're <laughs> winning right now. Uh, we, we like that, right? Yeah, that is good. But it's, it's generally unheard of in EVE. Generally, someone feels like they're the underdog. Um, at this time, both sides are are saying, yeah, this is going just how we want it, at least for Pappy now. Pappy, a couple of weeks ago, not so much, but Pappy now, they, they've got their group back. They've rescued most of their more active Titans that were below the Keepstar. They do have quite a few Titans and Supers that are still above the Keepstar, um, the M-Tac 2 key, or M2-Tac Keepstar. Um, but now they have the option of, hey, we have a unified, more or less, Titan fleet that we can drop at the top to rescue those people. We have a game plan for how to get these people out. We know that it'll cost uh, a few hundred dreads. I think <laughs> I think if they had to do it over, they'd probably risk a hundred of the dreads instead of 400, but it might've just bought enough time to, uh, to give the Imperium a little bit of pause before free firing their doomsdays in the face of 400 dreads, because that is a, a spooky proposition. It, it did work, didn't it? Like what was the, what was the escalation pattern of that comp? of that battle uh so in the leaks we oh, weeks leading up to it uh <laughs> last two weeks or so um whenever the imperium wouldn't form for something or you know didn't want to fight happy who kind of edged out a, a little bit of an advantage in the u.s time zone uh numbers wise uh happy would just go into mtac or m2 tac and start shooting bubbles this would force the imperium to respond because they 
place such a heavy uh, importance on the Hell Camp and M2. Uh, and they would come in and, and they would fight. So Pappy had been doing that for weeks and weeks, or for two or three weeks, uh, to try and rebuild a little bit of momentum on their side uh, and, you know, just poke and, and make sure that the, the Imperium were, like, manning, honestly manning the fort instead of just uh, pretending to be there and not really paying attention to it. Uh, so they killed some bubbles. We saw before Tuesday there was a, an attempt to break people out of the top. Uh, Pappy were in M2 and cleaned out the top bubbles over the course of, like, two or three hours. Then they started logging supers and titans on, um, like, one or two at a time to do a breakout attempt. Uh, it ended up costing them two Nixes because, you know, just they decided, hey, logging in piecemeal is not going to work. we got to do it all at the same time. So that first one was a bit of a proof of concept. Uh, so for the second attempt, they had, again, started just poking M2 over and over again. Uh, so the Imperium never really knew when that first, when that, like, big attempt was going to happen, try to, to wear them down a little bit. And uh, then they just <laughs> logged everything in, jumped in a bunch of supers, jumped in uh, extra dreads, and just kept jumping in dreads. Uh, the idea was that there would be so many dreads on the field for Pappy, not only to clear the bubbles, um, but if the Imperium decided to detether their Titans on the Keepstar and start free-firing Doomsdays, uh, that it would cost them. Right? So they couldn't just, just free-fire Doomsdays like they did before. Because now there was a counter to them with the, the dreads. So they'd detether, try and shoot a Nyx or shoot a Titan or something. And then the dreads would immediately turn off of the bubbles onto them. Uh, I believe Pappy did uh, some napkin math, maybe a little bit more than napkin math, and figured out that a, uh, a dread in Siege can kill a T2 large bubble in something like 32 seconds. Um, so it all went pretty fast. The, the bubbles all died relatively quickly. Um, and then the subcaps on field were there just to, to kill dictators uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, make sure those guys get out. And it was a, a pretty graceful exit for the uh, Pappy Titans and Supers. They were able to warp off the new ones that they brought in because they did bring additional Supers with them. They were to bring capitals off. Uh, carriers all, almost all got out. Um, but every, oh, every dread that jumped in died. <laughs> like, there, there was no hope for those dreads. Uh, they were told to siege green, not even try to get out. Uh, yeah, because they were they were just done. PC gamers headline was that commandos go into this you know prison camp and break out their comrades, <laughs> like and that's kind of what it was. It was suicide dreads, I guess, were not coming back. Yeah, it does kind of feel like an A team type of thing, but um, you know, in retrospect, a hundred and something dreads probably would have done the trick too, and it would have kept the butcher's bill really low, but. After the first M2, I think the, or the, the, the attempt that got all the Titans stuck there in the first place, I think the last thing Pappy wanted to do was give it like a half measure and risk that being like, oh, we just fed an extra 100 dreads and got nothing out of this. So they went a little bit overboard. They're just like, you know what, let's, let's just give it a little bit too much. Let's dial this up to 12 uh, and just to ensure that we get everything out here. Because a lot was riding on that for Pappy. They wanted yeah. to be able to prove that, hey... Uh, we're able to function in this war. We're able to keep on the path that we've been doing. Uh, we want our members to have confidence in our plan and stuff like that. And it worked for them, right? So the Imperium comes out of that and says, hey, we killed 400 dreads. You lost 400 dreads because you made a bad call. Ha, 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 ha. We're superior. Um, but if you look at what happened in FWST and the, 
YZ9 and the, the keep stars that were anchoring there. A uh, similar number of Imperium Dreads died trying to keep a keep star out of Delve, which was, as we know now, inevitable. So it's mm-hmm. kind of, um, I guess it kind of evens out. The mistakes uh, are more or less a little bit even. Yeah. Of course, the Imperium has a massive advantage because it killed uh, like 300 Titans in, in four days. And that feels incredible because no one's ever done that in a video game ever. Mm-hmm. Well, Vili did say, we did interview him, uh, and he said that uh, he was nervous for the first time in a long time, or he had the shakes for the first time in a long time, and that this could have been a backbreaking defeat if it had gone sideways. So I guess the 400 Dreads are a lot of insurance in that sense. Yeah, and uh, the Imperium looked at that, uh, the 400 Dreads and they're like, oh, well, you know, Dreads are probably more useful in the day-to-day things, so we're feeling pretty good about this. They took a fight again, and Pappy undocked 600 dreads, uh, I think, a day or two afterwards. So the, the idea that Pappy traded their dread cash for some extra titans, uh, not, not so much the case. Those dreads were already... I, don't, I hate using the term already replaced, but um, given that this plan was in development for some time, some extra dread hulls were made. <laughs> uh, and I was wondering a little bit why, like, someone had ordered uh, 80 dreads for me because I had been producing dreads for just months. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can't actually build 80 dreads. Uh, or, like, I'm not building dreads anymore. I, I did, like, 100 and that was it. This is a so large like, order. Okay, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Kuda, you, you used to build stuff, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely oh. built a little bit back in the day. What's it, uh, is a dread, what's it like to build a dread? Do you ever build any of those? No, we stuck mostly with um, freighters and jump freighters. So, mm, same kind of thing. It takes like a week, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, th- I think after I took a break, the the corp may have snuck out a Titan on a little side project. But um, oh, that just was, a just a little Titan here. Well, it was our first one ever. And I think it's the only one to date we've ever done. So it was it was kind of a big deal. So it was great. It blows my mind how much cheaper things have kind of got since we kind of mothballed Cap Stable back in the day. Like. As far as like, you know, a Titan was 120 billion back then. And now, you know, you're seeing kill mouse for 80, 85 billion. It's kind of a standard issue. Yeah. While you were gone, dot, 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 <laughs> we'll get you caught up. Um, so, Tonya, do you have any observations or Arcia on, on uh, the breakout for M2? Anything there interesting for, interest you or not? Well, it's nice to see uh, Pappy kind of get the groove back, like uh, Elise said, because I think for like the first two weeks after uh, M2, it was looking a little dark for them, but now they're back. And it's kind of awesome that like both sides kind of have uh, like now at their like highest morale sort of peaks. So uh, like goons came, uh, had their like huge morale boost after M2, after they kind of lost like, I think like three or four keep stars in Delve and then, now Pappy are back and now we get to see like both sides crash into each other while they're kind of at both at like uh, their peak sort of numbers for a while. Um, yeah. Okay. I think that morale also translates into people uh, just being in space casually as well as being in place in, in, in space for operation so like what's something like m2 might mean to like a a more small gang focused player is that um when both sides of the war are feeling good that whole delve uh aquarius area is really a war zone and it's really fun to roam in that area like i was roaming last night in delve 
And I was fighting both. I was seeing both goons and tests, like in numbers, uh, pretty much every like every other jump. There was there was there was something for me to shoot. And um, like a week a week a week or two ago, uh, it wasn't really like that in that area because it kind of cooled mm-hmm. off after after being so hot at the beginning. So um, for somebody who doesn't particularly care what happened in M2 personally, uh, it's good that both sides are flying around in space and they want to play the game because I want to shoot both sides. Does that give you like new obstacles? Like you have to take evasive maneuvers more often and work around something. Does it make it, does it make it more interesting or are you really just looking for targets? Yeah. Like, um, when there's gigantic group, like if there's like 70 people camping a gate, I don't want to jump into it. Right? Um, so a lot of times you'll look for like a system that has activity, but not too much activity when you're roaming like that. And yeah. sometimes activity, like I'm not going to go to M2, right? But, but I was around FWST and all, all that NPC Delta area and it was really 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 fun like uh, everybody in alliance was talking about the one versus one abyssal bcs and i killed some goon drake with a harbinger and i'm like am i doing it right because <laughs> it wasn't in the abyssal but it was still a one versus one bc i would like to see rca camp in m2 <laughs> i always joke on the stream that both sides of the war surrender to me when i kill something stupid like an ishtar like yeah i killed the test ishtar both sides of the war surrender to me it's over and that's just like a running meme on the on my stream uh that's awesome so um, point there is a lot of activity just in space right uh, if you pull up dotland uh, and just look at the uh, ihubs that are contested uh, the entire, like every constellation that's right next to T5 and uh, 1DQ, uh, they're contested. There's uh, there's a little rash breaking out there. And those fights are much more spread out. Obviously, they're, they're Aegisov, so you can't just uh, plop a thousand titans onto a grid and, and just say you're going to win. You have to go within the constellation, attack the nodes and stuff like that. And that's the type of fighting that we've been seeing a lot in the last 10, 15 days Um and those fights have started to heat up and uh, both sides are actually coming to the table for it. So it, it's very cool. Um, there is a big timer today in uh, M2 TAC again. Uh, it's for the iHub there. Pappy uh, attacked the iHub, I believe, on Friday. They successfully contested it. It took some time. They, uh, they won a little fight around there. And now it, at, I think, 2130, that timer comes out. So that constellation, again, is going to be on fire as Pappy tried to get back to the to the grind and start going into these uh, systems, uh, controlling the iHubs, holding them, building the ADMs up, defending them when they get uh, into assist again. This may be, um, they might size each other up, I think, uh, today, right? I mean, because you heard... The- yeah, I watched the meta show yesterday and Mitani said he's hoping for a fight. They want to fight today. So, I mean, I, I think that's going to be a fun one to watch and see how it actually goes down. I, I heard that um, when Poppy undocked all those dreads, it kind of spooked the competition a little bit and they, they kind of poked their head back in their hole for a little bit. It was a shock um, after the damage they did to the dreads the night before. So, um, it's kind of good to see a little back and forth. I mean, I'm, I'm, I kind of like to see the world burn personally. I kind of think any dead capital is a good capital. So um, yes. I hope that both sides lose in their entire cap fleets because that would be really good. 
for, for the game in general, like every single cap. That, that's Even what's high caps if you want. Right. I actually think that entire constellation uh, comes out today, right? So it's not just uh, M2. M2 is sort of like the storied system, and it's a system that has the keep star in it out of that constellation. And DTECW is also reinforced as well, and that's also a pretty important system because it's uh, next to T5, and it's also uh, a keep star system for Goon Swarm as well. Yeah, right. that is absolutely true. And, you know, if you control the jammer there, uh, it's pretty trivial to bring your entire super fleet in there to try and take that keep star down. Uh, and it's, it's very hard to contest it. So we also heard that there, uh, that is Pappy's, because uh, we talked to Billy again, said that, you know, it was, they try to do things fast without a Sino jammer. And they said, well, and I've heard this from Vince too, it'll just, we'll just take this a little slower like we were doing it before, where they're methodical about capturing, holding territory, and then sieging the castle kind of thing. Yeah, the, uh, the eyes kind of glazed over. I guess the heart took over instead of the head for a lot of the M2 fights. Like, for both sides, the M2 fight kind of made no sense going into it, but both sides were so eager for this massive Titan brawl. And the first one happened, it was dead even. Both sides felt good coming out of it because neither side can kind of really gauge the other side's ability to replace uh, these Titans because Titans now are very expensive to replace. So uh, it's, it's basically what sort of backstock do you have? Uh, and going into the second M2, you could you could easily just whiff on that if you're Pappy or if you're Imperium. You, you got what you wanted coming out of it. But both sides were like, man, that, that last fight a couple of days ago was so good. Let's do it again. Uh, I have a feeling the let's do it again mentality is going to be subdued, at least for the Pappy side. Um, they're not going to be gun shy. I, I don't want to classify it as that, but I think they're going to be a little bit more cerebral in their approach so they don't uh, end up in a situation where they might lose a bunch of Titans. I don't it, think that um, either side could have not, not done it again like that. Um, I think if one of the sides opted not to do it again, they would have lost a lot of morale because uh, their members want to fight, right? Well, what's, what's interesting to me, you know, put, put aside the whole horn of Gondor thing where you call in old players on both sides, right? There's horns on both sides where old you say, hey, come on, guys, we need your help now. And like crickets. All right, I'll send you some money, but I'm not going to play. <laughs> you know, that's what you get. But have the servers create a situation where you have a great fight like the armor timer for M2 and everybody comes back. I mean, you saw everybody come back for that fight because they know it's going to be a big one. You know, both sides are actually going to do it. First of all, it's not going to be blue balls. You're not coming back for that. So when you have a sure thing and it worked before, I've never seen morale. If you want to call it morale, I don't think it's morale, but I've never seen people come back to the game in those numbers. That's the real horn of anything is servers work. Big fights going to happen. We guarantee it. Yeah, you saw Titan Pilots that hadn't logged in for almost eight years start logging in on both sides, um, saying, hey, you know what? I spent my entire Eve career getting to this point of a Titan. I got one and I quit because I just I hit Everest and I was like, oh, well, there's nothing else to do. Um, <laughs> this is that thing to do, or M2 is that thing to do. Fights like that are that thing to do. So it's going to definitely bring people back. Um, and that's a very positive thing. I will say one of the... Um, it's hard to call him an unsung hero, but one of the big positives for the Imperium uh, in the last six weeks, maybe, uh, is Mr. V. 
Uh, Mr. V, one of the most storied FCs in EVE Online, used to lead essentially the Imperium back then. It was the CFC um, military. He was sort of synonymous with how the Imperium fought. He set their style. He did everything. And he took a break. He said, you know what? I did everything in EVE. I don't need to do anything more. Uh, he comes back for this war. Um, and he's silently, or I, not silently, he's quietly like taking a more dominant role in the European time zone, um, giving them, giving the Imperium a lot more swagger, giving them uh, a lot of resources to, to draw on. Uh, this guy, he didn't come in and demand respect, right? He came in from the bottom, earned his spot. Uh, and now he's, you know, kind of leading incredible fleets in European time zone, doing it well. Um, and giving the Imperium a, a really good advantage in the, the European time zone. That's, I think that's part of the reason why you saw um, a lot of the fighting go trend more towards the, the later U.S. time zones, because, you know, maybe at some point, Pappy had an advantage in European time zone. Uh, but with Mr. V at the helm for the Imperium, I don't think you have that advantage anymore. Uh, maybe I'm overplaying it because I've got tremendous ex- respect for V, uh, Mm-hmm. He was like one of the people I have seen against and I always would quiver in my boots a little bit knowing that he was on the other end of the artillery that was shooting me. Um, but I think he's, he's completely changed the dynamic of the, the war, at least the time zone section of the I, war. I think we did see a message come from him when M2 started. I think it was him uh, that, I don't know if he said, let's do this, let's jump in, but he is the one that messaged it out saying like, yeah, let's see what happens or something. There was some message that came from Mr. V at the time that M2, because M2 was a little bit of an accident, right? It was unexpected. Right? Yeah. Okay. M2 was an accident, but I just mean like Mr. V, he's, he's out here in the trenches and the IHUB timers. Um, mm. And he can, he can put butts in the fleets for the four or five hours that you need. He can keep them coming back. Uh, and you don't have, you don't have any doubts when he's at the helm, right? So a lot of times if you're in a fleet, maybe you're like, oh, we lost. Uh, I think maybe the FC could have done this. You know, you do not have, like when Mr. V is, is leading your fleet, you don't have that because you're like, well, this guy, he knows better than me. He did the right thing. He explained it to me. Like he's got a level of uh, communication that is like incredible. So there's yeah. never like any doubts. So he'll cu- keep you coming back. I, I think he's playing a, a rather large role, and that's a huge win uh, for the Imperium, right? We're talking about the Imperium compared to World War B1 uh, when they were they were kind of losing allies and losing people uh, as the war kind of progressed. Uh, World War B2, they, the Imperium has been like gaining people ever since, right? We had a few big names like Graf move over, right? Uh, Graf Elo, a cool thing. Yeah. yeah, you have Elo Knight uh, who leads fleets in U.S. time zone. You've got Mr. V, like a huge, huge wins across the board, right? So that, that's that's yeah. that's a that's a big difference between uh, World War B one and World War B two. Your your generals on the uh, on the game board, right? Yeah. Well, it's just the Imperium is not losing uh, losing allies, right? They're gaining. People are coming back. They're they're really buying into uh, what the Imperium is selling, and not just the war bonds. Well, everybody's selling those now. Like, um, I think it's all easier right. to motivate people when it's a defensive war, and the Imperium's fighting the defensive war. So, I think that that makes sense. Uh, Luke Lungen says, also the comment: "We'll defend all keep stars." Let's talk about one tech S 
or otherwise known as one smeb. What happened there? It died. <laughs> it died uncontested. <laughs> uh, the Imperium narrative is that we'll fight you for every keep star. Um, and then that, that's something that they've been pushing. It's absolutely not the case. Uh, they'll fight on the keep stars that they want to fight on. Uh, but one smeb, the Imperium just didn't... I don't want to say they didn't care about it. It tactically provides no advantage for them. It's just a keep star that someone planted down because it's cool, I'm sure. It's next sacked. No one wants to go into Iridia anyway. It's spooky ghost town out there. Um, even after M2, uh, where Imperium started taking back Sov and Delve, they never really made any headway in that entire SMEB constellation, um, which NCDOT controlled, I think, through the whole time. Mm. Uh, so, you know, the jammer's up in SMEB. There's not even a core. There was not even a core in that keep star, so you can't tether to it. If you can't tether to it, what's the point of it? Uh, the Imperium, they didn't even send a gunner for the final time. Yeah. Uh, they just whiffed on total, it and died. Total disrespect for that keep star. <laughs> like, you don't even yeah, get it's a gunner. Kind of range of M2 as well, right? So even if they killed the jammer, they would have to mid, and then Pappy would see that. So. Oh. oh, good point. Well, okay, so not all keep stars, but I, I do feel like the, the messaging coming from the Imperium, well, maybe from both sides, it got out over its skis a little bit when they said, we won't, you know, we won't allow this, we won't allow that. All right, you did that. Okay, well, we won't allow this over here. And I think the latest one, I don't know who told me this, the keep star, the Delve is in the wallet. I think that's a pretty funny joke if it was a joke, but like, you know... Delve isn't the whole tri-region area. It's not just Delve. It's not just real Delve. Now it's, you know, the Delve Empire is in the wallet, which kind of sounds like I want isk, right? Like, you know, like unassailable wealth kind of thing. Like you can't uh, measure real, it. You don't know what it is. The real Delve is the friends that they made along the way, really. That's right. So all the relationships. And there are definitely a lot of good and tight relationships inside the Imperium. But uh, Satoni brings out a, a great point, right? Um, as the Imperium put a huge, huge importance on the Hill Camp in M2, which they did phenomenally. Any other alliance in that situation fails 100% of the time. The Imperium, I think, is the only alliance in EVE that can man a Hell Camp for a month and have the, a similar number at the start as they do at the bottom. Uh, so they, they put such an importance on that. They did not want to budge any of the uh, supers off of that. So they, of course, were not going to defend any other Keepstar. Um, Smeb was pretty much the only one that uh, Pappy could go for in terms of ones that were under jammers. But um, yeah, so they definitely were not going to leave, leave that for, for anything. Uh, one of the, I think one of the funnier things, that it's a little bit of a nuance that happened. Uh, Pappy actually dropped a Fortizar in 1DQ that was set to come out, I think, on Wednesday of this week. It died, of course. Um, so Tappy or, um, the Imperium saw that and they were like, Oh, this is a dumb distract. Like this is a little bit too obvious, right? You're going to make us form to kill this Fortizar and then you're going to try and break out attempt. That's really dumb. Breakout attempt actually was a day before <laughs> the, the Fortizar came online. So it was, uh, Oh, that might've been an interesting little, um, just more Change misdirection. Yeah. yeah, yeah, misdirection. That's a great word for it. Also, I saw that Vili, uh, who you would assume would be preparing, was like doing, was it Trash Talk Tuesday? Or he was doing, a, he was on a media show and seemed very relaxed there. So you, again, more 
uh, misdirection, I think, you know, let, act like everything's normal. And then a few minutes later, they execute this really high risk thing, right? Could have gone sideways for them and, and essentially ended the war. Yeah. Okay. Um, just, just real Go quick ahead. to recap, I think yeah. uh, in, in 2021 so far, uh, most of the story is the Imperium is winning. Uh, if you're completely objective, the Imperium was winning for almost all of 2021 20, in Delve, right? I like, um, I like the way you say that, for all of 2021. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now I think it's about more of an even, even keel. Uh, you can argue that because of the Imperium success in Catch and other wares, that they're still, they still have an advantage. We'd probably be correct in that. Um, I, I think you would be, but you could argue either way. I think now it's a little bit more even in Delve. Uh, so moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see how these guys respond, uh, especially today for the, the M2I up. Right. We'll check that out. I think it is going to be a measuring contest more than a battle. It'll, they're going to size up to see who has... Um, and we won't have seen that since M2, basically all month, but the, I think they'll bring out everything on both sides. We'll see. But you said in Delve, which was interesting because in another part of the war, Immensia, things seem to be on fire, uh, for legacy, I suppose. Suetonia, uh, do you know much about that that you were telling us, I think? Uh, yeah. So, uh, or in catch at least for the last like two weeks or so, um, the initiative and, and I don't think they're officially like allied to the Imperium or to initiative uh, generally, but they're like kind of like the enemy of the enemy of my friend kind of group where they're just nuisance people who love to shoot legacy and and shoot them. So you got Dreadbomb, uh, Tickle, Straya Post, uh, Salt Farmers, whatever. I can't. <laughs> I always get that. Salt Farmers, salt right? Farmers. Yeah, simple farmers. Simple farmers, that's it. Yeah, simple farmers who have obviously always been like a gate camp, like pain in the ass for legacy. Uh, and I think there's uh, another group too. Uh, so, yeah, Deepwater Hooligans, Dreadbomb, Tickle. Yeah, those are yeah dread, uh, Deepwater Hooligans, that's it. So, they've mostly just been like slowly deconstructing uh, legacy fortizars and structures there. Uh, what Initiative did is I think they like destroyed a lot of key IHUBs that had jump bridges. And then once the jump bridges are dead, they can kind of just keep reinforcing Fortazars and it becomes like a big pain for Legacy to form for them because they they generally are able to beat, beat the guys who are in catch by themselves. So if Legacy want to save the structures, they have to like send a fire coalition down. Uh, Siberian squads used to always like do defense there, but now they're moving up north. And so the, they've slowly just been bleeding through structures. And now uh, it seems they're turning their attention to Immensia. And uh, recently, uh, a lot of uh, Federation uprising solve structures have been reinforced uh, and taken, as well as, uh, I believe, in their main staging system, they lost a lot of, uh, of their support structures. Like they lost a uh, 38 billion Tatara, as well as Asbel, several Ratarus. I don't think their main like staging uh, it's just the main staging structure has been uh, destroyed yet, but a lot of the support structures in the system have been destroyed. Mm. Well, how do you think this affects the um, overall war? And I mean, is this hurting them, or is this just a land that's already been abandoned? Like, what do we? How do we put this in perspective? Well, I think it is kind of hurting uh, Legacy a little bit by destroying like their backlines. So it's like a much harder for them to farm. Like a lot of the routes from Empire Space 
to uh, to Amentia and Catch have been clipped and uh, simple farmers are really good at gate camping and doing like these huge gate camps between uh, like head GP down to catch. So it's uh, a lot more difficult now for like members to move stuff if they're not using like the jump freighter services. And some of the like space that they have to farm has been uh, clipped too. Uh, so I think it probably is affecting them. Uh, at least uh, I believe the deployment kind of brought Brave out of Quirius. And I think Quirius, uh, Brave, as of last week, lost every single TCU and IHUB that they had in Quirius. So getting Brave out of the war zone was probably really useful. And I, I don't think Federation Uprising are, are con contributing that much to the to the Delve War just because they're quite a small group, right? They're mostly just like F an FW Corp that moved into Null. And they normally only bring like maybe 20, 20, 30 guys to like a timer in Delve. So it's not like uh, it's going to change the numbers too heavily in the, for the side of Goonswarm, but you know, like getting these guys to leave so they just can keep doing more damage on the, on the back lines is uh, probably slowly going to bleed uh, Legacy's wallet. And I think that's what they're trying to do, right? Is they're just trying to take away like Legacy's renting money or their allied money away. Yeah. I don't know, Elise, what do you think? Is this, um, is this a different war or, or is, is, uh, is uh, what is it, uh, Brave out of Aquarius a significant uh, military objective? Or? I mean, I think the initiative is thriving right now, right? Uh, and, and not only the initiative, but, but groups with them and groups like them uh, for the Imperium that say, hey, you know what, we're, we're more specialized combatants. Uh, us being in the N plus, N plus one equation doesn't really help you too much. Uh, let's go on the back lines and light everything on fire. Uh, and that's what they're doing right now. Just catch is burning. Immensi is going to probably be next. Um, this isn't insignificant, right? You can say, oh, well, uh, we can replace this. Yeah, you can easily replace it. But now if you're brave or if you're members of Legacy that were living in catch, you feel like you're at war now. You didn't before because you always had your home, which you knew was secure. You can always go back to it. It was always pacified. There might be uh, simple farmers around their camping gates, but you know what? They're not taking everything you own, you can still freely move around. Uh, so, now, now legacy. Oh, sorry. Now you finish, finish your thought. I was going to say now the people that live in, in catch the, the members that are in this war, they're feeling a little bit of the burn. Uh, and this is what the Imperium wants too, right? The, they want to sort of shimmy the numbers down a little bit, right? You're talking about fed up. Maybe they only bring 20 people, but that's 20 people fewer that you have to deal with. Uh, do that to another group. Maybe, uh, you, you know, you send Brave back to, you know, they're going to be jumping back and forth. Um, but maybe you'll lose 30 of them in the jumping back and forth. Maybe someone will say, oh, I want to stay and catch. This is my home. You start shimming those numbers down. You just shimmy them, shimmy, shimmy, shimmy. All of a sudden, uh, the Imperium, you know, the people against them have more numbers. But uh, in the fleets, is going to be a little bit more even. And that's the tactic that you want. Uh or that's the tactic that you're, that's going to get you wins and going to get you success in your region. I pretty much just wanted to uh, agree with the idea that initiative is doing really well over in, in brave space. And um, it's kind of apparent even from the outside looking in because um, for, for example, as a personal anecdote, I, I last time I, I went roaming over in catch, I, 
I had a, a night where I went there two or three times. And like every time I went to Brave Space, I was killed by initiative. I like flew through GE tech and lived and I was killed by initiative like two jumps later. So like I go to Brave Space and I'm more scared of initiative than I am of Brave. Like um, because <laughs> they are over there specifically to kill anything that is straggling and i'm straggling because i'm i'm the uh solo idiot right well not an idiot but you're there solo yeah <laughs> and uh, they're they're ravaging the territory that's funny okay well so immensia the backfield getting kind of i wonder i wonder if um that taking away immensia and catch might be um, just kind of reinforce, like burning the ships behind you. It kind of reinforces, look, we're not going back. So, you, you know, stick into this war rather than them saying, I'm dispirited. You know, they're destroying my home because I'm on deployment. Maybe that creates pressure to say like, come on, Billy, or come on, uh, pro God, stop this war. Let's go back and defend our territory instead and just call it a day. Like, I just don't see that in the equation considering the uh, finality of the rhetoric that's been going on for this, but yeah, I mean, there's there's one aspect of it of like, hey, um, you know, the concept of where we're moving forward, but then when reality hits you, uh, like the people that are living in, in these areas of space didn't really feel like they were well, didn't feel any pressure from the war at home for five months, uh, and now all of a sudden they're feeling that that pressure, right? So you can have this concept in your head, like, Oh, we're, we're at war. We're doing this great stuff. Uh, home is, you know, it, it's, it's forward now. But yeah. then when that, when that, when you come face to face with it, it's a completely different feeling. Well, I mean, that means some, if you have like wife and kids back home and you're, you know, on somebody else's shore, but there's no wife and kids back there. There's, I will know, say, um, comparing this to, to other wars we've seen where, where big groups have been fighting other larger groups. Uh, in, in one of the Max campaigns where Band of Brothers and, and their friends in the South decided to go north and destroy everything in their path, uh, small groups, uh, groups kind of like the initiative, right? I think groups of the initiative molded, molded themselves after uh, Pandemic Legion and like the, the early seeding, seedlings of uh, Northern Coalition went to Delve and started to burn everything. And it became such a nuisance for uh, Band Brothers and the people in the South that they actually stopped their campaign to, or they put it on hold and kind of re-came back South to deal with it. Um, so like these things do have a, a significant impact. Mm. Well, it would be cool if there were incentives to do that. Like I worry that the game isn't structured that way, but there's, there seems to be no, you know, it's kind of like what counts is where you're at, you know, in your immediate vicinity and that's it. Like there's very little strategy to holding territory, it seems like to me. And that's too bad because I would love to see more of that kind of, it would be great to see people have to leave a war zone to go and take care of their wife and kids that are being ravaged on the farm. That would be interesting. Oh, yeah. Another thing is like there's a load of uncertainty over like, do we want to abandon this space or not? Because we don't actually know what CCP are entirely doing with like the resource distribution changes. Because if they decide, okay, we're moving everyone to delve on period basis and esoteria that's, you know, in these areas and we're just going to abandon it. And then CCP suddenly makes some changes that makes like owning their space valuable again. They're going to feel really bad about it. I heard they're only going to put TRIT in delve. So you're going to have to get all of it there. <laughs> Super magnet. Yeah. 
Yeah. There you go, uh, Kuda. That's what you missed. Uh, there's a ton of wealth building in the last few years, but they're moved in, moving into a scarcity now where, yeah, mining oh, and I, minerals and stuff. There's only going to be in one random low-sec system in Iridia on every third Friday of the month. <laughs> yeah. Do it. It'll rotate. I was going to say the um, new mechanics like the DBS make it a, a lot harder as well to just stack like, you know, 50 people into the same system now. So you're slowly just going to grind the ISK multiplier down. And so it's going to be a lot harder to like feed that many uh, people essentially. Yeah. Okay. Um, one last thing. I noticed uh, the, the, um, the messaging from... Imperium is to try, I thought this was very odd, trying to convince the opposition, Tess, and uh, I guess the Horde, actually. I mean, it's really interesting to watch the psychological warfare of trying to wedge between Horde and Tess. Like every single message that I've seen coming out of Imperium is structured to either wedge Horde off or wedge brave off of legacy. Like they're really trying to drive those wedges. And even to the point where they're like recruiting uh, guys on the other side saying, Hey, if you'll listen to me, you know, if you don't think I'm crazy, cause some guys think I'm crazy, but, but you don't, right. <laughs> cause you're an open-minded guy. So you'll listen to me that you're following. The wrong I mean, have you noticed the, the messaging getting stronger or has it always been that way? I think it's always been that way. Like if you listen to the meta show, the Matani always says, oh, NC Dot and Horde are doing everything. You're so strong. You're, you guys are like just killing us. And Let me oh, touch your muscles, NC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The narrative is... Language towards legacy, right, is, you know, Brave are, are doing really well. And like, you know, Brave, if you step aside, you know, we're not going to hold this war against you. We're just going to burn Test. Test is next. So if anyone in legacy wants to, uh, you know, drop out of the war and uh, see tides with legacy or, you know, leave the war, then there's like some weird like kind of amnesty deal where, you know, the Matani is probably going to leave them alone. And yeah, and that's with the uh, golden ticket thing too that he did as well, right? Like he offered <laughs> yeah. online stability to get out of the MT uh, hell camp. He, he did say yesterday the golden ticket has not been given away yet. Oh, but then he said maybe it has. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, golden he ticket, it's still available. Oh, wait a minute. We may have given it away, but it's like, well, which is it? But I love that idea. And I was uh, at least pointed how, out how brilliant that was uh, the last few shows that that kind of stuff has always been their strong point for me. Yeah, that was, that was really funny. But yeah, the, the entire narrative right now, or the entire uh, idea to break apart Pappy, uh, especially after M2, is to look at people like Horde, uh, look at people like NC Dot and, and you know, other groups that are in, in PanFam, and say, hey, you know, why would you follow these guys? You're doing great. Uh, I think there was one yesterday where they were like, oh, Vince is, you know, he's going to work. Headliner, oh, he's going to where he's doing the gobbins. He's got his notes of the grindstone. And you got Billy out here on the talk show, right? So they're, they're really <laughs> yeah. trying to, to put a wedge in, uh, you know, to, to break that apart. Which is, yeah. I mean, that's part of their victory condition, right? The idea is Pappy is a loosely organized group who have been fighting each other. Um, so breaking them apart, getting them to leave would be, or to leave uh, Legacy alone would be absolutely fantastic for them. The unfortunate thing is, that even if you take the, the most cynical approach to it, like even if you are incredibly uh, cynical in, in just viewing that, Panda Fam 
are, are like having a, a great time with this because they're living in the North. They're not like the, the groups that are living in catch. They're not feeling the burn anywhere. As this goes on, it's just raw wins. <laughs> like if, even if you want to be like a jerk, even if you think Panda fam are in this to betray test in the end, um, them staying in delve longer, it just makes the, the game better for them. But, uh, you know, I think the initiative is, is doing the actual work on that sort of messaging. They're making groups uh, that are living in Ketch and Amencia want to maybe reconsider their ties or maybe saying, ah, you know, this isn't for us because they're actually turning the yeah. screws instead of just saying that the yeah. screws are being turned. Well, and, and that seems to be their offensive, right? Because clearly uh, Imperium's on defensive. Their territories are being encroached upon. Their structures are being destroyed. So their offense is, well, they can't beat two to one. Nobody can. You can't beat two and a half to one. I think it gets up to as high as three sometimes. I'm not sure. You just can't beat those odds. So you've got to wither away some of that to bring it down to size so you can even compete. So their offense is really the psychological game of trying to disenfranchise players, trying to suppress the numbers. And you're right, initiatives doing the, the damage work to, to make the pain. And then uh, shows like the Meta Show and the Fireside Chat and even their internal talks are doing a lot of the uh, psychological work to try to wither the numbers down. And those seem to be the offense strategy for the Imperium. Yeah, it's and, also like a, an internal rallying cry for your own group as well, right? So even if the, the Pappy groups don't buy into any of this bullshit, because they, they don't really, they're having a good time. If you pull like any number from Pappy and ask if they're having a good time, they're like, yeah, this is, this is the most fun I've had in E for a while. Um, but, you know, that type of messaging uh, from the Imperium side, it, it's a rallying cry for people within the Imperium as well. They're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're really yeah. like screwing these guys over. Ah, this is great. This is what we're doing. It's going to work. And they say the same thing. We're having the best time we've had and whatever. And that's why we're like, hey, this is great. Two groups think they're winning. Two groups having a good time. They'll keep this going. And these stockpiles maybe get reduced. And maybe we have a different scenario. By the way, the golden ticket was... Um, it was a free pass if you paid Imperium some money and you had your Titans stuck. They would actually let you out. That's what the golden ticket is. It's based on Willy Wonka, I think. But that's the, the funny part. Okay. Um couple other things here uh, we talked uh, well we want to talk about fraternity moving to Vale uh, with Suetonia before he has to take off um, what can you tell us what's going on up there and why are people moving around yeah so fraternity uh, I think at the start of the year they declared that they're going to uh, move into tribute and Vale of the Silent because the space has gotten a lot more valuable now with the uh, DBS, the dynamic bounty system, like owning systems that are really close to low sec is much better now because you want like PVPers uh, and like traffic to come in that you can kill to keep your DBS up high. Uh, as, as fraternity is like a Western money, like halved, I think, after the DBS came in. So they want to yeah. keep up the money. And also uh, with the uh, mineral distribution changes, uh, mining in low sec is obviously a lot more valuable now. So being able to uh, like live close to an entry point like P3EN or MTACO in tribute, being able to just go out, out into low sec through there and uh, mine in areas around there is uh, useful so you can uh, keep keep good stocks of uh, certain minerals like noxium and isogen that you can't necessarily get too, too easily in low sec. So with the dynamic bounty system, um, 
basically every low sec system that has traffic has like 180% the maximum <clears throat> bounty uh, level because there's so much PVP in low sec. So the other day I, I went below negative two security status after a fleet and I started hunting some of the, the security tag clone soldiers and I was getting like three and a half million isk per pop because the DVS was so high and low suck and I was I didn't even expect it I just I got the best tick of my life in like Metropolis wow is that doesn't that seem doesn't that seem to be working like remember how people used to say low sec there's no reason to be there and now well, I never used to say that because I've been a low sucker for like a decade, but... Um, You're right. Yeah. Misinformed people There's, there's quite a lot of, lot of people in low sec who would, who would disagree, but um, I think it is good for low sec because low sec almost always has 180% DPS, especially in like the war zone areas. The, the interesting part is when are we going to start seeing groups move into low sec to take advantage of that? Right now, it's individuals who are like doing their own thing that are, that are winning there and also groups that have kind of stuck together, right? So if you're friends with Snuff uh, or you're, if you're friends with Siege Green, you're probably really liking these changes. Um, but if you're not, probably not having the best of time uh, with these changes, right? You haven't seen uh, industrial groups really moving wholesale into uh, low sec because they're... It's dangerous, right? It looks like it's super dangerous. It's more dangerous than being in T5 in Delve, right? Uh, anything can happen. Anyone can come invade you because there's really no way to, to control territory. It, it's spooky. So I think the, the jury is still out on if it's going to change Losec life. Um, but without a doubt, to, to Arcee's point, if you just are floating around in Losec, you're, you're getting more money there. And maybe, maybe, maybe that's incentive enough for people to start moving there, people to start living there, people to start moving their activities uh, to LOSAC. I don't think it's going to fundamentally change how LOSAC works. I think that it's going to be a boon for the groups that already live in the fires of LOSAC. And that'll put them on more of an equal playing field to maybe the groups in the outer regions in the security space. Um, but I don't think it's going to like attract new industrial focused players specifically to low sec because in order to like survive in low sec, you have to fight all the time and doesn't afraid of anything. It's kind of, I, I saw a funny cartoon today. It was about the, uh, the whole Reddit game stop thing, but it was uh, Robinhood, right? Because that's the app that's being used to do this. And Robinhood, you know, holds up with his bow and arrow, the, uh, the marshal and takes all his money and he gives it to this poor woman. And so the poor woman has a ton of money. So Robin Hood's looking at her like, give me your money. And he takes yeah. the money from her because she's the one that's rich now. <laughs> he goes, sorry, awkward. Uh, but it feels like Losec is that woman, right? She's inherited a ton of money because the game systems have made uh, her region of space you know, lucrative. And now you'll, you may start seeing players look at that and saying, Hey, low sec has, uh, it's, you know, it's getting too rich. We need to redistribute that back into, um, you know, null sec or something. So like null sec has metal liminal storms for the weather. Low sec has snuffed out who kills everything in a region and moves. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, Baz Garen illustrates that example really well, right? If you have something of value in low sec, uh, someone is going to come and take it from you. 
I saw the the Keepstar and Studio get cored because uh, after January 12th, they need to have a core in them in order to have uh, mar- uh, repair, tether, and other stuff, right? And that's sort of what Basgar and Keepstar was uh, predicated upon. For the Keepstar, we tried to actually coordinate among, among different groups. And we actually formed a fleet of like 150 people with like 100 tornadoes. And then they land on grid and it's only Titans. It's like, what the hell are we going to volley? <laughs> What are we going to volley? The Erebus? I don't think so, right? I'll take you a while. It's like the uh, uh, the little chicken hawk uh, biting on Foghorn Leghorn's leg. Boy, I'm really Pretty into the much, anime. Yeah. Into the comic strips today. Uh, all right. Uh, so Tony is going to take off pretty soon. Do you have anything else on uh, Baz Garen or uh, Fraternity or any of that? Two different oh, things. Yeah, I was going to say... Uh, uh, we were just talking a little bit about what Fraternity have been doing, but they are, they're now moving, uh, they've said they've, they've moved all of their capitals uh, towards the north, and I think they've quite arrived yet, I'm not too sure. But uh, what they have done is they've called for all of their English-speaking allies to move into uh, Vale of the Silent, which I think they're staging from HSEC 5 right now. Uh, there's actually some pretty good uh, uh, posts on Reddit by the Rokapel guys, although they are like... <laughs> fairly uh loaded with their own propaganda so you know yeah. you want to conifers take- conifers mer- merged into rote capel didn't they or is that yeah okay so that's true but yeah so so far they've actually uh, been able to uh pretty much halt most of fraternity's uh, advances into the north because uh, obviously with the soft system and uh, adms and timers uh, fraternity have to fight them in uh US time zone or EU time, I think it's mostly EU time zone for Vale. And with the numbers uh, that fraternity have versus them in those time zones, they're losing the fights. Uh, I think they're about equal in terms of numbers, but because I think those guys are a lot more experienced in fighting at that kind of scale, uh, that those numbers that, you know, they're just able to beat fraternity with uh, equal numbers. So now uh, Fraternity are moving capitals there. They're also trying to pull in their English speakers who probably are more likely to be able to play in those time zones. From Winneco, I think uh, Lord of Worlds Alliance has moved down there now and a few other uh, No Value have been around there. So uh, Winneco are moving in there now too. Before you take off, uh, your opinion on uh, can anybody beat Snuff in low sec? Is there a way to counter them or are they just having their way with any... Any group I, think, I think there are some groups that are close to snuffed. Uh, the Siege Green, I think, is probably the closest one, the Korean guys. The early thing is that they're in a sort of different time zone to snuff, so they don't really meet head-on all that often. Uh, there's also, I guess you could also say if Wrecking Crew were more focused in LOSEC than uh, what they're doing right now uh, with sort of Providence and also being sort of like a loose ally to Pappy. Uh, they probably could come close to at least matching Snuff. I don't think in capital numbers, but they could probably uh, bring a lot more subcaps than Snuff can bring. Hmm. So if I were wanting to put a structure up, I would say, hey, Siege Green, I want to be your friend. I'll put my timers to your time zone and I'll pay you a bunch of money. Would, I, I wonder if that would be a safe way to survive in, in uh, low sec. So um, there's a group in the Amar Minmatar War Zone uh, that's Australian time zone called Serenity Syndicate. And a lot of times when their structures get threatened um, by a really big group, like uh, dock workers, for instance, um, a Serenity Syndicate will pass that information along to Sage Green. So that is definitely a viable way to 
kind of have people who you provide content for that have uh, a vested interest in keeping your your stru- structures alive so they get more content. Yeah, all right. So there's some there's some kind of strategy there, but uh, US EU time zones just dominated by uh, snuff these days. Yeah, I was actually um, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, it was Pando's podcast. He had Hai Wantu on it uh, from Snuff, Big FC for Snuff. Um, and he was like, yeah, people give us a lot of credit, but a lot of times we just do random stuff and stuff falls into our lap um, because either people are trying to carry favor with us, so they'll, they'll give us a timer. Uh, and they think that, you know, if the first person to bat phone Snuff well, then, you know, they won't be the ones that get shot, right? Because snuff is not going to kill the people that give them the intel. Uh, and a lot of times he says, you know, we're, we just kind of get lucky a lot of the times, frankly. Um, it's not like we have these huge devious plans. Just that there's no one uh, necessarily that can really contest uh, in that thing. Uh, but they definitely have them. It feels wrong to call them a big fish in a, in a small pond because that, that seems like diminishing of, of what Losek is and, and what snuff has accomplished. Um, but they're, you know, they're quite dominant in the position that they have. And people of similar size, uh, of similar dominance, generally tend to go to uh, NOSEC groups. So I think that's, that's probably why, because LOSEC doesn't really offer too much until you have, uh, you know, a certain critical mass and, and stuff like that. Um, so I think it's not rude to call them a big fish in a small pond, because becoming as big and powerful as they did is the thing they did, like, super right, right? They... Um, they are a natural disaster because of their size. They go around and they basically burn down an area and then they go to the next, the next region because if they stay in one area, it just dies. All the content dies because very few groups can contest them. And they generally only lose too much when they make a big mistake. Like they did um, lose uh, like a bunch of guardians and a couple legions against uh a timer in Israbata yesterday or the day before. Um, but they must have just like done something wrong because most of the time they, they are pretty hard to uh, uh, really stand up against unless like everybody else on field allies against them and they don't, when they weren't particularly planning to escalate. Yeah, sometimes are... they just show up in like subcaps and they're not planning to like escalate because a lot of times they'll mid their titans and then all the content dies, right? Yeah, so the the thing that they are after, right, is what every other every other PvP alliance is after, right? They're after content, right? Then the type of content they deliver brings more people who are interested in that type of content. So it kind of becomes a, a self-perpetuating thing where snuff becomes even more snuffy uh, or becomes like the character <laughs> caricature of themselves because the people see this, they have a certain view of it and they're like, Hey, I want to be with those guys. So snuff grows. And, and, you know, as snuff grows, the guy that used to be in some other group now no longer has uh, that member. So snuff gets bigger. The other smaller guys get smaller and the, you know, the cycle continues. I think uh, snuffy makes them sound like you, you want to pet them or something. Like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like a Pet fluffy, them with lasers. <laughs> well, like a fluffy dog. Um, yeah, but there are, there are some counterbalances, right? Uh, there are groups that, that might be going a little bit closer. You know, as the war in the north uh, gets more and more interest, I think those groups might say, hey, let's look over what's what's going on in Snuff because there, there are some quiet times because 
Um, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of PVPers and, and people who like the more mid-gang focused uh, type of fights that are going to be flocking to the groups in the north uh, because they've been having so much fun. I think the Mitanni should just flat out pay Volta and the Freemen of the North like 50 bill a week just to be like, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. Hopefully yeah. some people in, in Pappy are going to say, yeah, we don't want these big fights. We want these medium fights. It would be interesting to do the reverse, wouldn't it? I just, like if you were a group and you say like, well, we're doing our own thing, but we're kind of benefiting you. So why don't you, Imperium, pay us a fee or we'll stop. <laughs> like you could, yeah. you could see the reverse of that it would be kind of interesting. Um, you know, like, I don't know, that might be savvy, right? Like saying, Hey, we're doing all this for free. Uh, but anyway, isn't that kind of what the TTT is? I don't follow, but the, I, the trading power, like, no, I know what only, it is. Right? Yeah. The only reason why, like everybody who can kill it hasn't killed it is because they're benefiting from it. Right. Yeah. They're paid off basically. Um, you know, which Baz Garen wasn't paying anybody it was just under the protection of imperium more or less uh, it was it was the, it wasn't I under mean, direct protection but clearly it was, wasn't really under protection of imperium if i was like the idiot trying to organize a defense for it one of one of the various people from different groups but right yeah well okay so uh, basgarin went down the keepstar went down uh was there we covered that during the week, but was there anything, any lessons learned there or anything to, to talk about or any aftermath or anything? I'm not sure there is. I think it's kind of indicative of how the, the Quantum Cores 2 is going to go through the rest of uh, EVE. Uh, I, I think it's a bit of a short-sighted change. I understand the concept behind it, right? To ante up. Uh, and I understand that, you know, Citadel spam is bad. Um, but if you look through high sec and you look through low sec, if there's a structure that's cored, now the suddenly, instead of just ignoring it because it's annoying to get through, um, you definitely want to kill it and take that core. Uh, so groups in high sec that, I mean, obviously this, uh, Basgarin is just an extreme example in low sec, right? Cause you have a 30 billionist core in the Keepstar and a 20 billionist in the Sodio. Obviously someone's going to come and take that. Right. But, um, and Sixth Empire have no military to, to kind of back it up. They just have some goodwill. Uh, people like Arcee went up to, to defend them. But at the end of the day, someone's... I went up to shoot snuff. Sixth yeah, Empire is yeah. red to me. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but uh, I think it's, it's really indicative of other things that are going on in high sec too. Because if you're a small industrial group that runs a uh, Ritaru, or you have a, an Astra or something, or you let's say you, you, go, you go a little wild and shove an Asbel up to to put a market somewhere, suddenly there's a target on your back because instead of just people ignoring your structure, now there's uh, a billion isk on the table uh, that I can just take. And there's a good chance that you put this structure down. You can't necessarily defend it from 20 Leshaks that come by and just grind through it. So I think it's something that CSB has to look at. I, I also don't think they're worried about it too much because I get the feeling that they have some hashtag regrets about citadels and they want fewer of them in empire space. Yeah. But you're really changing. Please finish. You're, you're going to see in the next six months, a lot of these citadels, um, they're either going to be taken down or they're going to be killed if they're cored. 
uh, or abandoned, and groups are going to have to coalesce into bigger groups in order to defend their citadels, or they're just going to have to, I don't want to say, yeah, yeah, capitulate to to bigger forces in order to keep these things up. I think it's uh, the dynamic in, in, in high sec is going to be very interesting to watch. Uh, and in turn, that's going to make Caleb very happy because there aren't going to be infinite supply lines anymore in high sec. You're going to have to, a lot of the building is going to have to be in, uh, in stations instead of citadels uh, and the costs are going to go up there. Well, I, I imagine, uh, could you were going to jump in on this one? Yeah, no, no. Oh, all right. Yeah. The, um, I, I imagine that uh, any new structure that goes up, so any new group that wants to say, hey, let's, let's do this uh, building thing and put together our engineering complex has to put a core in there. So they have to incentivize people to kill their structure. Um, will there be any value? Because the, the core is only necessary uh, for grandfathered ones, ones that are already out there, it's only necessary if you want the tether and the fitting and basically military purposes. But if you just had a complex for building, you don't need any of that stuff. Do you think the uh, people could sell uncored structures or? Uh, maybe, but <laughs> having no fitting is a real pain in the butt, uh, especially if you're doing industry type things, right? Because your freighter is going to come in. Uh, oh, with, right. With expanded uh, cargo expanders on, and it's going to want to leave with bulkheads on, uh, or or I steps to kind of get out of there. So, it, like, it's it's kind of a bit of a nuisance. So you're like, ah, screw it. I'll just put the core in, and then all of a sudden, someone like Black Flag comes in and says, "Oh, there's a core here. That's cool. Oh, um, look, you can't do anything to 15 lashags. Um, and if you can, yeah. I'll just warp off into the next one. The opportunity cost is very very low for them. Uh, it's a hundred mil to try and try and take a billion this thing out of there. Uh, whereas before it was a hundred mil. If I do destroy it, I get about a hundred mil in salvage. That, that's more or less what it was before. So it was kind of an even thing. So it's not worth your time. Well, you make an interesting point and uh, you re reflect on Caleb's like, we need bottlenecks. We need a limitation of uh, building uh, slots. So therefore building will have to go slower and that will make everything more valuable because right now minerals are very valuable because they shut off the spigot of asteroids in easy to mine areas, you know, controlled null sec. And those quantities are now way down. And so this whole era of scarcity on the mineral side of things is one part of it. But then to see it's harder to convert those minerals to actual equipment because now everybody has to use NPC stations, which have are subject to a 10% tax. Um, and I guess it depends on where you build them, what the, uh, the system index will be, which is another tax basically. So maybe this, at, this compounds scarcity, like the core and the lack of structures out there compounds scarcity in a way that we hadn't actually seen before. What's set us on pauses? What would keep somebody from rolling out a pause and using a pause right now? People use pauses. Like um, we ha we've been using a pause in faction warfare lately, and they've always been popular for like wormhole evictions. Um, people still use pauses. That's nothing stops anybody from using it. Can you still do everything you used to? Yeah, pause? like I think I one of the reasons why people would prefer to have a structure is that you can kite a pos into a different time zone, right? If you know, like the Strontium, if you, if you play things right, you can get uh, an uh, offensive pos timer when you want it, right? If you, if you do things right. 
I didn't know that. I thought the defender picked the. You don't pick in. a date with a post. You put an amount of strontium in it, so it reinforces for a certain amount of time. So you have to like try to guess when they're most likely to hit it. So you put in the amount of strontium to have it oh. come out at a time you want. But if they hit it at a different time, it comes out at a different time. Right. I see what you're saying. Right. So instead of them pulling, um, uh, what do you call it? An alarm clock op to finish something off. They do that to start it off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Twitch chat saying you can't build, you can't do industry stuff in pastas anymore. So you can't oh, build. Like, but I just mean to like use, I guess. Yeah. You can't do industry stuff then. Yeah. You can't build. I don't even. invention. Like, Industry is magic to me. I'm part of the chain where the ships get exploded. All right. Magic goes in, the ships come out. I lose the ships. It's the circle of life. Never won't fight ever. So I, I, I'm on the other end of that spectrum. So I, I build them. Okay, so the, the, the yin and yang of uh, EVE Online. I built a Harbinger once. Are you proud of me? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Gotta start somewhere. He, he got killed in a Harbinger once. <laughs> I'm proud of you. <laughs> I lost my carrier a couple of weeks ago trying to get out of asset safety. Um, the asset safety is such a joke. I'm learning quickly about um, how to manage that a little bit better. But yeah, like I'm, if, if you see me flying and anything that isn't cl cloaky, then you can probably kill me. And you can probably kill me if I'm cloaked. <laughs> where, where are you these days? Where, you've come back to the game and you're doing what? I've come back to the game. I'm out in Knoll with Blades right now. Um, so doing a little bit of ratting. I've kind of been, I've been, I've been going back to high sec and just doing a little bit of mining because I enjoy mining on a Sunday morning with a cup of coffee sort of thing. Um, and then I've been compressing my own trit and moving it back out to null. So, yeah, that's exact. I mean, that's kind of the lifestyle I've been looking for is, uh, cause I think, um, sorry, blades of grass have a really cool history and they're, uh, it's kind of a relaxed place, right? Like people are nice and everything. People are nice. You know, we, we've got, uh, we've got some rules, obviously, you know, we're a bunch of old people. Um, I think everybody's over, over 30 for sure. So it's, uh, it's really laid back, really kind of focused on just like, it's almost a family a corp in a way. So or alliance. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's what I've seen about them. Uh, that's really cool. And then you do some stuff in high sec, which is kind of kind of hot right now. Wasn't before, but that's just a personal decision I do. I don't think there's too many people that actually do that other than me. It's just I've got a bunch of gear in high sec still, and you know there's there's definitely lots of risks in high sec. Um, there always have been. You got to watch out for code or safety now. Um, those guys are really good at what they do. Um, but you know, for the most part, as long as you kind of hide in the shadows. I love to find little pocket systems and stuff like that. So, you know, that kind of stuff is still super fun to me. So, so I think something that people overlook a lot is how fun an actual good high sec war is like between two sides that are fighting, not between like super deck camper group and, and, uh, solo, solo guy who's never killed anything in his life. Right. Like, and this mostly happens with like RP groups who like have like in character grudges against each other who, cause they're generally the people who like set up in high sec who are willing to fight. Right. Because they're only in high sec because they, they have like a reason to be like in character wise and, um, good high sec wars. Like it's super fun because you're like, you're like hunting through all the other people you can't kill for the people you can kill. And it's a completely different dynamic than any other 
kind of fighting in in Eve. Um, back back like years ago, I used to discount anything that wasn't in my area of the game, and I think a lot of people fall into this trap. I, I used to be like a, a low sec, uh, purely low sec. PvP -er. and I used to like discount anything that wasn't like low sex small gang. Like when I went up, went up against Elise Randolph in the tournament, I didn't know who he was, and I was like, "He's some guy from Nullsec. He doesn't have his hundred closest friends to press F one. How is he going to win?" Right? <laughs> and Jeez. now I don't think that anymore. I think everybody in the game is pretty much really good at what they do, and it's like super impressive. And I think low, high, null wormholes and all, all that all have really fun parts to them. But I do think a lot of people fall into the trap where everything that isn't the thing that they do is, is lesser somehow. Cause I used to fall into that trap. And mm -hmm. um, I think it's, it's, it's always good to like look around and expand your horizons and try out new things. Cause there's a lot of fun well, to be had everywhere. I think Elise Without Friends pioneered the jumping out of a battle and completely disappearing. Of course, it was a boundary violation, but he still, you know, made his, he, he got away on his terms. So I wasn't yeah. trying to dunk on Elise today. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I, I took the opportunity, but uh, Elise is, again, is uh, the friendliest legendary player you'll ever run into. If he were a Pokemon, he would be like a legendary Pokemon. <laughs> all right um just a couple notes then from ccp they have a new fleet finder uh, at least i kind of looked at that and um we noticed that they haven't taken anything away from how you use fleets now how you get into fleets how they're advertised like all that stays the same but they added some new stuff you want to talk about that at least um, yeah, it, it seemed to be uh, there are different categories of fleets that you can find. It's easier to join a fleet. It's easier to make a fleet uh, if you haven't done one before. Um, so, you know, just it's one of those things where you, you kind of love to see it, where CCB adds a new feature without removing one that you liked before. So you have all the same functionality you had before. You even have the same interface if you want to rely on that one. But now there's a new one that lives in the agency window. And we were chatting about it before. There's... An entire generation of players that have started the game in the last two years, that when they start EVE Online, the agency window pops up because that's what they want. And that's how they interface with the world and get a lot of information. Uh, the rest of us have unchecked that box and probably never go to the agency unless there's something weird that we need there. Um, right? I think the only time I've gone to the agency in the last month was to look at the agents, DBS, uh, and that's it. Uh, that, that's pretty that much is. the only thing. Yeah. Do you know what, what? that is, Coda? The DBS. The, oh, the no, agency. The agency. Yeah. No, I use that, and I've, I've been using the agency to, to for locator agents because we've been trying to track some people down. And yeah, so it's it's definitely I, I see the benefit of it. It's it's a great tool yeah. for sure. And the, the radial menu actually allows you to play with one hand, right? Just your mouse hand, and that's good for smokers. I think that was like the. The, Again, uh, Caleb will be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, there's, a, there's also an entire generation of players that, that use the radial menu for EVE Online stuff. And there's a generation of players that have unbound that button, like myself, and I never use it for anything. Um, so I know how to add delay to it, but can you remove it? I hate it. 
I'm pretty sure you can remove it. I'm pretty sure I have removed it. it. Maybe you could just change the. the You can change the delay so it pops up less. I don't think you can remove it. There's some really good functionality with it, but it's just too too cumbersome. I'm too much of a boomer. I can't get used to it. No, I I like the right click, and I. I'm always like so shocked when I say, okay, we're at the top station. And they're like, what do you mean top station? Right. Right click in space. Right click in space. Top station. Yeah. We almost called this show top station, actually. Uh, Top bell, Amamake. Right, right, Elise. Pandemic Legion is is Pandemic Legion still an Amamake? Or or has like 10 years gone by? We we have a, a monument there. So we're always there in spirit. I also have a bunch of ships there that I never moved down. But are they Alliance tournament ships? Nope. Can't, nope. Can't all say. Those are, all those are in Jeda. Oh, I, okay. I have mine in Amar. Have you sold anything on Hyperlink? Uh, Elise, you have some expensive stuff. You have some jewelry. I, um, <laughs> I, when Hypernet came out, I was really into it. I was like, oh, this is the best. I, I just love the, um, the dynamic of it. I love like, clicking stuff and then seeing the little guy move over and you're like, Oh, am I going to win? Am I going to win? But, <laughs> um, but then I kind of forgot it existed. I think like a lot of players just completely forgot it existed. Um, and now I, I pretty much only use it when I'm like really exceedingly bored. And, uh, I want to buy, I want to do something dumb. Like, oh, I want to, I want to fly a lash act for this one thing, or I want to, you know, fly a weird, uh, fit. And I look at the cost of it, I'm like, eh, it's not worth it. And I'm not sure I even want to do it. Then I'll go on the hypernet and I'll be like, well, I'll buy four tickets. And then if I win, I'll know that it was meant to be. <laughs> and I'll go ahead and do it. And I'll have saved a bunch of money doing so. And if not, then that's that's Eve's way of saying, ah, you, you didn't want to do that anyway. So that's essentially what I use the hypernet for now. Ah, to, to see what fate has uh, yeah, in store for you. To shake the magic eight ball to, to see what the, the Eve gods have in store for me. That's actually an interesting use of it. Uh, this guy, Sergeant Johnson, says, I disabled Hypernet on both my accounts to save myself ISK. <laughs> the only time I ever used Hypernet yeah. is when, um, right after the abandoned Citadel change, when I was flying with a group of people and we were bashing the abandoned Citadels. And a lot of the stuff that dropped from the Citadels was given away via all right, here's a private hypernet and everybody can buy one ticket. And if you buy more than one ticket, we don't let you in anymore. And that's kind of how they divvied up stuff. It wasn't my favorite way of divvying up stuff, but like Mm. it was as fair as any other way, I guess. Yeah. My favorite use for hypernet was actually fundraising. Apparently you put in um, an item and it's not a bad item. It's like, say um, a T2 cruiser of some sort. And you say, okay, guys, this is worth 300 uh, million, let's say. And this is a fundraiser. So if you guys buy tickets for like, you know, eight tickets for 100 million, somebody will get something good and you will help us raise uh, money for whatever it is that we're raising money for. So it was a way of people to kind of get a little possibility of getting a little something for something they wanted to do anyway. I thought that was an interesting way of using that. I love these guys in chat. They're like, you could petition CCP to remove your access to Hypernet if you can't, uh, you know, behave yourself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's, that's why I thought that guy was a smart guy. He's, yeah. uh, seriously, if you have like, if you have any kind of, uh, um, 
I don't know, addictive problem or compulsive problem. Like you want to get yourself, you want to keep yourself from being in the situation in the first place. That'll, that'll keep you straight. And that's a, a good strategy. I they could just remove my ability to sit in an, or undock a capital because I just seem to lose those too often. <laughs> and that would be helpful, I think. But yeah, they do offer that. You can just extract those skills. There you go. That's true. That's yeah. true. Oh, that's true. Uh, all right uh, quality of life the last thing we'll see some of this stuff coming soon did you guys i don't know if you look through the list uh, maybe i'll just read a few here but removed cost of changing the home station okay that was nominal um the redeem queue can now be redeemed directly to your home station um yeah so if you're if you're moving your character around uh people would have to wait until they got back to their home station to actually redeem their queue all the gifts that come to them now you could just do it wherever you're at and say yeah just put that in my home station please and that's again quality of life kind of a change they moved the clone bay window to the character sheet I don't understand what that is but um, so is it not on the on the side with the station services anymore or That's is it just an was, additional button? I hope it's additional because I'm going to forget yeah. about that. Yeah. Real yeah. I still look to the bottom left to try to undock. Undock, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy, that's... I popped a clone today. So uh, yeah, you can definitely still... It's still in the station hanger button. All right. Um, well, these these might be coming soon. We don't. This is what's proposed or what's coming. So add a home station to your uh, indicator on the map, which is kind of interesting. So you can see like where... I think a lot of this stuff is to give new this, a lot of these quality of life changes are for new players to get a better sense of like up, down, left, right, uh, to give them a context of their own situation. So but where no, it kind of, yeah. Or this, there's no up in space. Oh, you're right. Um, their sense of, for us, uh, veteran players, a lot of this stuff will get in our way because we have to relearn something that we kind of had locked down. But for newer players, uh, just like the fleet, fleet up thing is, uh, is it's definitely for them. Uh, and by the way, I'm going to make a t-shirt RCA that says, I like the left click or I like the right click. The right click. <laughs> I like the right click. Yeah. That's very uh, top, Eve. top station or top station. Top boat. Yes, I think that's it. There's something else about booster. Booster duration. Oh, yeah. Booster duration is now displayed in human readable terms. So uh, booster duration won't be like 90,000 seconds. It'll be 30 minutes or something. I had a weird bug with a booster last night where it reached zero and it just stayed in the top left at zero duration for like the rest of the night or something. like to say hello to Mr. Deep. I'm not going to say your full name again. I already did that earlier in the, but it's good to see you. He was the gunner inside the Bazgaran Keepstar uh, from Sixth Empire. Nice guy. Oh, one of the, the big graphical updates is they're bringing the, um, the new jump tunnel animation back. And oh, that's um, right. uh, so that, that'll be interesting. They've had it before, but it ended up taking, it ended up removing quality of life, right? Because it would be a beautiful graphic. But it would make jumping station uh, jumping systems that much longer just to, to watch the beautiful things. So they removed it and went back to the drawing board and they're bringing it back. So it's on the test server right now. You can see what it's like. Uh, is that where the ship is flying through the tunnel? Yeah. That that was the original one. Yeah. I haven't uh, I haven't gone through. I feel bad I missed the, the mass test for it, but that's interesting. Uh, that I, I wondered what happened. So they had a problem with it and they had to pull it to retool it. I didn't know that. 
Well, it just uh, players complained because it would take, you know, instead of jumping systems taking 10 seconds, it would now take 40 seconds. And in tie-dye, it would take even longer. So oh. a bunch of players were like, hey, this is this looks cool, but it's worse. Can I disable it? Uh, and CZ were just like, yeah, let's just let's dial this one back. That's cool. When I look at it, it makes the game look hokey to me. However, somebody pointed out, again, for new players, it gives them context of what their ship is doing. You know, so, so I want to... I want to know how are we seeing it? Because normally what happens is the camera drones dock to the ship. Because the way you see your ship is through camera drones. Because you're plugged into your ship. Your mind is plugged into the ship. And the way you see it is the camera drones flying around the ship. So like when you go through a jump gate, normally the drones dock to the ship. And that's why you don't see your ship. But I guess the camera drones are jumping through the gate behind the ship now for some reason like how how are they going to explain that well looking at the graphic that we just saw the jump drone has to jump first because your ship catches up to the visual space and then your ship zooms off yeah the camera drones and then it zooms off so it leaves the camera drone behind or at least one of them uh and i don't know but you're right they totally violated their lore by having that Right. They can just say that the drone is in docking, I guess, but like it's just kind of weird that they went with that change now. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, it would be interesting. Uh, it'd be interesting to kind of uh, make that graphic look in a way that it worked with lore as well, because there it just kind of looks. It looks very video gamey, and uh, I know it's for new players to give Even them context. Is not a video game. Exactly. So I have life. Exactly my point. I just got, and we'll end here, uh, but the, I, I was called out on the Praise Bob Discord, which is unusual, um, for a comment that I made where I said, hey, I was suggesting stuff on, on our CCP Please channel that we have on TIS Discord, right? Where you can just put suggestions and the CCP you know, may or may not read them there, but other people can vote on your suggestions. So you can kind of see what's really popular and what's like really not, depending on who's participating. But, you know, every once in a while, I get kind of like, you know, sugar drunk and uh, put stuff in there that doesn't make much sense to people. And I wrote, what about buying a permit from Concord that immunizes you to PVP so you don't have to participate in that in case you just want to be social and you don't want to be docked all the time? Uh, you know, you can go out and just kind of hang out. And That's a terrible uh, idea. Yeah, that's exactly what I heard from uh, the Praise Bob guys are like, this is a PVP game. Like, why don't you, why don't you play that would, something That would else? ruin what the game is. That would be... If you ever played Ultima online way back when, when they made uh, Tamil and what is it, Tamil and Faluka, the two, the PvP and the non-PvP regions, and it just killed the game, right? That was back in like 2000 or so when that happened. How did that kill the game? Because people would go get all super strong in the PvE area and then go to the PvP area and kill everybody. And like they, they wouldn't risk, it just... The PvP area became a ghost town. A lot of the stuff that made the game interesting just died off and it became another game. So my reflection was that some people just want to be social in the game. They really just so, want to chat. So a lot of people do want to do that and that's fine. You stay docked. You use the chat system, right? You you stay docked if you don't want to get shot, basically. Um, there are a lot of people who will log on to EVE and RP in the chat system. And like there will be like, my character is doing something in the station. And, and that's what they do. And that's fine. But once you are in space, 
you need to be a target for Ave to Beave. Okay. Well, I mean, we pay for uh, insurance to insure the stuff that gets blown up. So this was kind of an idea of the reverse of that. Why don't I pay for security? Like, in retrospect, maybe you don't pay for immunity, but you pay for a, a stronger response time, like you have Concord fees, right? And the people who pay a lot get uh, almost like private security that will eliminate a threat before it actually destroys your valuable items. What do you think of that? Sounds more fun. I, you know, the thing that always blew my mind as a new player was, why doesn't Concord respond to rats in ISAC? Like, I just never understood, understood it, you know? I was like, well, this well, doesn't make sense. Arce can probably help me out, but lore-wise, the Concord is only there to, to nullify and punish Capsuleers. That's, like, that's, that's not true. Cap, Concord does a lot of different things. Concord, um, the Concord rapid response system is specifically aimed at Capsuleers. Um, and Concord has like some ability to control and regulate Capsuleers. They're not all all powerful. Otherwise, anybody who helped the Triglavians would have been shut down, for example. Um, but one of the Concord's jobs, one of their many jobs is to re regulate and control capsuleers. And that's kind of what the rapid response system is to do. There's no reason why they couldn't do it against N NPCs, but like kind of what you have to hand wave is that a lot of people, a, lo a lot of NPCs, um, there, there's tons and tons and tons of ships that you can't see flying around the EVE universe. Most civilian traffic isn't on a capsuleer sensors. Um, so Concord is busy dealing with a lot of stuff. Anything you see is basically Concord saying, we don't have the manpower to deal with this. So I hope, let's hope capsuleers can shoot it. So any of the rats you see, there's tons, there's going to be tons of rats that you don't see that Concord's killing, right? Or that the local navies are killing. Um, but if you see something, generally, they want you to see it. So it's in my, in my head canon kind of, and this isn't official. It's okay. Let, um, there, there, we, see, we see some angels over here. Let's, let's make it so they show up for capsuleers and hope the capsuleers deal with it because we don't have the manpower right now. I like head cannon. It just uh, has a great yeah. visual <laughs> giant cannon on your head. And um, that's why they pay you for it too. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I'm going to work on this idea, Arcia, and then I'll get back to you and you can knock it down again and again and again. But uh, I, I was wondering like, what, what is the game servicing? So the point that I was getting at was that I was called out because this game is about PVP. We all agree with that. Or is there room for this game being about, more than pvp or other things or is it pvp plus other things so part of pvp is avoiding pvp if you don't want it um that is pvp so, right yeah part of pvp is producing stuff and selling it and trying to sell it at better prices or undercut or sell more than your your components to uh to, than your opponents to control a market i think it's about pvp it's not necessarily all two ships shooting each other but i think the game at its core is pvp well that's the thing when people say pvp and uh, and, and i guess when i was saying it too we're talking about spaceships pew 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 kapoof but pvp is player versus player 
Yeah, yeah, you've got market PVP, you've got just personality PVP in the meta. Like, you know, Lanktheris, who used to be on the Cast Table show with us, dude loves the meta. It's his jam, you know? So you've got all different types of aspects of PVP, like that just aren't necessarily like blowing each other up for sure. And also evasive maneuvers are player versus player, right? You're the mouse. That's. Uh, Wasn't that one of your people of the year? Was the explorer who hit all the systems without dying? I mean, what, yeah, what, Katya what said. an accomplishment. That's amazing, you know? Best PvP in the game. That's, yeah. what, that's what I said. Being able to do. I mean, you, that's maximum. That's 100% on your test, right? If, you're, if, if that's what you consider uh, player versus player. And, and I do. Because, again, it's, um, it's players playing and outplaying one another. And he wasn't outplayed. I know it's like, a, I don't know what the word is, esoteric or... Everybody has symbolic, their own... But, uh, definition of what is successful to them um like if i didn't lose any ships i wouldn't consider myself successful because like in my head if i'm not losing ships i'm not pushing myself right um like my my own personal boundaries like if i'm i think in my head if, I, if i'm pushing my own personal boundaries i'm dying a lot of the time right so that's that's kind of how i think about it but everybody has their own kind of goals and success conditions that they define and that's one of the things that makes eve eve like because it is a sandbox right what is successful for you for what you're doing might be different than what's successful for me for what i'm doing exactly but i don't see i don't see um eve online as again as one game first of all second of all much less uh, a video game it's more of a, a lifestyle a virtual world a sim a place to communicate with other people. That's what makes it interesting to me. Uh, I can kill a hundred rats and not get much satisfaction out of that. I can collect a hundred isk and not get much satisfaction out of that. But if I make a new friend, for instance, that's kind of interesting. Or, you know, I realize who I want to stay away from. That's interesting too. So there is a social aspect to Eve. I think that's undeniable. But why not say, well, you can engage in that, you know, without the setbacks but you can't get ahead. Like, you know, th I think that's what would be fair. I mean, I wonder if that wouldn't attract different kinds of players. I think that's what ambulation was supposed to be all about. Walking in stations was supposed to be about attracting a different kind of player that wasn't interested in that, but wanted to be social, wanted to be decorative, ornamental, whatever. Did you ever see the, um, the original trailers for the walking in stations before they revamped it for Encarna? Yes, that was amazing. What sorry. we missed is so. No, it it was amazing. Don't be sorry. You're right. Like I, I cut you off. We, as we well. missed. No, it's fine. It's that's that's conversation. Um, yeah. It was. You were saying you liked it. It was neat, right? Well, one of the things that we really lack in Eve, and I, it's so interesting that such a small change made a difference for this. So I'll get to that in a second. But the Incarna, pre-Incarna, like Incarna, I wasn't a huge fan of. But before that, the ambulation before that, where you walked in and you saw that big battleship and you could see the scale, you could say like, oh, that's how big that is. And it was much bigger than you thought it was. And uh, so Eve... They say like, you know, in Eve, they could try to build in scale, but you'll just zoom out and then everything looks small and it doesn't make a difference. So why bother putting all that work into scale? But all they needed to do, and they did it, was put a little icon of a man floating in space after you get blown up. And you couldn't see now, like 
from that little character, you can see how big a cruiser is compared to that little character. And it started to, plus they also put in like fog so you could see dimensional stuff. And they've done a lot of things. Abyssal space, you can definitely see scale and you can feel scale. But uh, I thought um, all that was interesting. And Incarna was, I mean, uh, ambulation was a big part of like giving you a sense of wonder again that these things are really big. They do have big crews. When you blow up a ship, you lost a lot of people in that ship. You know, consequence, raising consequence and maybe rarefying combat, I feel, makes it more important, makes it more vital than using ships as ammunition, which is what you kind of should do in order to play the game a certain way, as you were saying. Don't get too attached to anything. Get out there and grind through it. And equipment is just equipment. Ships are basically ammunition, that sort of thing. And then you'll play the real Eve, according to so some people. So the thing is, both of those takes are completely correct. Capsuleers treat ships as ammunition, and there's people aboard all the ships we fly. Um, they treat them as ammunition. Capsuleers, <laughs> like every single one of us, is a mass murder. Um, the Eve universe... It, it goes into the Eve universe being so dark. It's one of the darkest universes I've ever, I've ever seen. Every faction has done incredibly horrible stuff from like slavery to genocide to like, if, you, if there's a bad thing, you can name it. And somebody in the Eve universe has done it. Right. And that's part of what makes the whole thing interesting because not Every individual person might be badly motivated, but pretty much everybody ends up doing bad stuff because of the terrible circumstance of being in this world. Well, that's a really good way to put it. All right. Okay. Well, we'll take the rest of this conversation offline in Discord and hang out uh, there. I want to say thanks to uh, Arcia and Elise Akuda and Suetonia, who was here earlier, and also our engineer, McLeod, showing you some of those images. Um, is there anything you guys want to end with? Like, do you have a shout out or a piece of advice or anything? Um, any um, last thoughts? My piece of advice is I want to see a big fight in M2 today. So you guys should undock, undock, undock. That's happening in a few hours, I think. I think so. Yeah, the timer is at 2130, which means people will start being in the system. And there's also timers in that same constellation. So there's going to be some overlap. Uh, I'd expect people to start forming in about an hour or so from both sides. Uh, and then they'll just be spread out. So that should be fun to watch. Keep an eye on that. Uh, also, I want to give a shout out to Rain Chocolate, an Eve streamer who just made a Twitch partner this week. Oh, She's been congrats. streaming Eve for four or five years now. She's one of the original Eve streamers. So uh, congrats on that milestone. She actually made Twitch partner before she made Eve partner. So <laughs> good, really? good for you. Yeah. That's an old She's name. an Eve. Yeah. No, She's no. an Eve partner though, right? No, not yet. Maybe in a month. Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's a sure thing. She's, she's gotta be an e-partner. Uh, and Twitch chat earlier. I don't know if she's still there. Uh, probably getting prepared. I think she streams a lot of live coverage too, which is good. If you are not subscribed, subscribe to, uh, is it chocolate rain or rain chocolate? Does it go rain back and forth? And Twitch. I, th rain. I think it's rain now, isn't it? Well, but on Twitch, it's rain chocolate on Twitch. I think it's twitch.tv slash rain, R-A-H-N-E. I think she oh. removed the, the chocolate. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So, yeah. So, uh, that, but surprising to me that, uh, not surprising she got a Twitch partner. That's great. Uh, it's surprising to me she wasn't a CCP partner yet. She probably should be. Uh, there's a, yeah, there's a picture of her. 
And if you click on that picture of her, oh no, it's just Rain face. And where's that? Yeah, Rain, you're right. You totally called it. Uh, she's actually doing, if people are wondering what she's doing right now there, um, Ithaca Hawk, who designed the, the beautiful Eve map, like the Eve lore map. He's running a D&D campaign with some Eve players, and I think Rain's one of them. Um, so oh, cool. that's going on right now on Ithaca Hawk's channel. That is cool. I like that stuff. All right, guys. Thanks uh, very much. We will... Uh, Arcee, did you have anything else? No? All right. I'm good. Yeah. Thanks for showing up, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, we will see you again next week on Talking In Stations. Bye.